Dan. Dan, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, Dan, Dan, are you okay? Uh, Give him some room. Back uh, off. What? What happened? You fell off that ladder. I was dicking around on it on the other side like I shouldn't have been. You just fell right over, and you hit your head damn hard. Uh, how long was I out, man? I mean, I don't know. It's just like a minute. That's too long. That's dangerous. Yeah, it is. I had the worst dream. I... It turned that I naively agreed to watch every episode of Twin Peaks with you so we could make a ridiculous podcast. Huh. Weird. The problem was that I slowly started to lose my mind about halfway through the second season. It was a long dream. I mean, I've never even seen Twin Peaks. Uh, does this mean you want to watch it? Or no! No! I'm good. It was just a dream. Just help me up. Uh, sure thing. What the fuck is this? Since when do you have a robot arm? Since the second dawning of Nilvog. <laughs> Why? Uh, Okay, I, I'm still I'm still dreaming. Son of a bitch. No, 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 no. This isn't a dream. Listen, dream Adam. I'm not gonna argue with you. You're not even the real Adam. I am so. And look, I'll prove it to you. If this is a dream, then you won't feel this. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. No! Ooh, no! I'm so sorry. That sounded like it hurt. You broke my finger. Only to prove a point that you're an asshole. Yeah, you made your point. That's it. I'm waking up. Dream Adam is a dick. What time is it? 8.38! Holy shit, holy shit. I'm gonna be late for season two of the Black Logical Blade Department! Department, your source for all the Twin Peaks ire you could possibly handle. I'm your host, Daniel Williams. I'm your slightly under-the-weather co-host, Adam Bauer. Oh, little Adam sick. What's wrong? <laughs> I got the sniffles. But oh. I'm doing better. I'm on the mend. And you know what? David Lynch would say, the show must go on. He would say well, that. like that. He would, no, he would say it just like that. You nailed it. Well? Yeah. Adam. We are slowly but surely coming out of the woods here. We are smack dab in the worst part yeah. of Twin Peaks. But We are what? in the muck. We are. It's pretty bad right now. You're, I know you're not dealing with these episodes particularly well, just from the notes. They've grown increasingly <laughs> unstable over the past few weeks. <laughs> unstable. You know, yeah. At one point, I expect to open the Google document and just see nothing but, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yep. All work and no play. Oh, I've, Jesus. I I've, broke him. I've considered releasing my notes to our uh, listening population <laughs> just to see what you see yeah when well, you open up the doc. yeah we that would just spoil the show right it would ruin a little bit of the magic all right well let's talk about this episode this is season two episode 15 titled slaves and masters the original air date was february 9th 1991 this particular episode was written by series regulars and producers harley payton and robert engels i don't know if you noticed it but this episode was directed by Diane Keaton. I did not notice that, no. Hey, quick question. The first thing I was thinking about when I fired up this episode, where is Lucy's sister? I don't know why that was on my mind, that but she ran. was in one episode for like 15 minutes, yeah. and then she was gone. Just joined the, the list of characters that popped up for an episode or two and just yeah. left off screen. Did she go home? Is she hanging out at Lucy's <laughs> house still? Did she get lost in the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department? Andy murdered her. Just <laughs> Andy. got sick of her bullshit. And no one cared. Well, we start this episode <laughs> out uh, at your favorite place, Chateau. Chateau Slick Lady. Yeah, you've dubbed it Chateau Slick Lady. <laughs> 
where uh, Malcolm and Evelyn are trying to seal the deal yeah. on uh, poor James here, who once again finds himself in a pretty cumbersome situation. Yeah, that is a that's an interesting way to, to word it, but Slick Lady is seriously throwing James under the bus. And the way she kind of teeter-totters back and forth between how she's acting... She seems conflicted in this she scene. She does. They're talking to the police, and they are not giving the police a fake name for the person that's been working for them. They're not giving him opportunity to take off. They are giving the police the facts, except for he did not actually kill Mr. Slickly. <laughs> no, it was Malcolm fucking with the car. Yeah. James is essentially the fall guy in their plot to run away with Evelyn Marsh's uh, husband's money. And it's interesting that, well, it's not interesting, let's be honest. <laughs> it is tedious and bizarre and doesn't make any sense because we don't see... Evelyn and Malcolm's relationship like we don't see their entanglement yeah. it's very surface level yeah because the when, two of them. when we're introduced to them the audience assumes he's her brother and then yeah. it just pretty quickly unravels that you know they're lovers and in fact plotting to kill Mr. Marsh there's so many threads in the show going on at any given time that none of them really get to sink in in any meaningful way it feels like no one has the reins you know no and you're right it, because David and Mark had essentially walked away but then you've got You've got Harley Payton and Robert Engels, who have been a part of this show from yeah. almost the beginning. I don't, you know, I tried to dig around the internet and find out who was directly responsible for a lot of these plot lines that yeah. are making the show so torturous at this point, namely the Confederate plotline and the Jameson. And I couldn't find anything. Maybe if people out there that know a bit more about the show than me know, you know, shoot certainly me there are. Let people us know. Out there like that. It seems to me that Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls had the reins, and maybe they took it in the direction it went. I don't. I don't really. Know. Maybe they're really proud of this. Maybe those two are like, yeah, this is the pinnacle. <laughs> I'll, I'll look up some stuff. I know that uh, both Payton and Ingalls, have, you know, are not shy about talking about their time with the series and what it was yeah. like. So and we can. We'll give them a call. We'll give them a call. Oh yeah. In the meantime, let's uh, scoot on over to Wally's hideout. Adam, this has got the flavor of classic David Lynch here, this setup. It's a bad imitation, but you can see yeah. they're really... And it's Diane Keaton just kind of like, oh, well, I've seen this show. I think I can emulate this. So there are six Maytag repairmen smoking cigars. <laughs> On their break. On I their was, break. They're, they're looking, from our point of view, they're looking up and to the right. You think to a television, you know, like at a bar you're watching TV. But the, no, <laughs> they're just looking. I don't know. Maybe they're from the Black Lodge. <laughs> yeah, they're the IT department at the yeah. Black Lodge. Maybe yeah. maybe we're the only ones that can see them. <laughs> they're, maybe they're ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much going on here. Donna is kind of back to it now that she's... Yeah. She's found she, someone else to care about. Yeah, I'll save you. Right. So she's doing her superhero thing, trying to get yeah. James out of his, his pickle. Why? Why? Why is she so hung up on being a savior? She loves him, man. Does she? You think? I mean, you have more knowledge on the show than I do. I don't know how, the, how I mean, it she ends does. up. But... Donna is one of those characters that kind of blips out of the show after yeah. season two. There's, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff about her in Mark Frost's follow-up. I think it's the final dossier, so it'd be cool. Donna could... the character? or Yeah, they... we, I think there's like a PS, and we find out a bit how her life went and how things ended up for her. And I'd love to maybe have an episode where we talk about some of the characters that just kind of disappear, and we could talk no. what happens to them. no. You have no choice. You love Donna. Okay. Okay, maybe not. I don't love Donna. I find her troubled, and no one is helping Donna, and she wants to be this hero, but she's just 
Her heart's in the right place, <laughs> I guess, is the point I'm trying to get to. But she's going about everything in all the wrong ways. What's going on in the scene again? I'm she to... is basically trying to say, like, hey, we need to talk to Ed. We need to figure this out. And James, on the other hand, wants to go back and talk to Evelyn, which ultimately he gets his way. Yeah, we'll see that later on. Shame on James for hanging out at Wally's hideout, at, you know, where he met Evelyn now. What now is, that he knows yeah. the cops are looking for him. Maybe any other bar in the state. Right? <laughs> What's weird? They made that set. God damn it, they're going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> The director had the whole thing with the Maytag man. Fine. You know what's weird in this scene that I noticed? The bartender knows Donna by name and calls her Miss Hayward. She's been hanging out there a while. A lot, yeah. I guess? Wally's hideout loves serving underage yeah. drinkers. Right. But yeah, that is kind of weird. I guess it, it weird. feels odd that they have that relationship when we weren't privy to when to, they formed it. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but it's very formal because he doesn't call her Donna. He calls her Miss Hayward. Miss Hayward. Yeah. He's behind the counter. He says, you know, is there anything I can get you, Miss Hayward? Any, any way I can help you? Uh, and she's like, no, fuck off, dude. Uh, it's a very one-sided relationship. And then James and Donna have their conversation. And then he kind of sidles up behind her, and he says, are you sure? And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Back off. Creepy bartender yeah. just apparates. Yeah. The scene is nothing. Yeah, we're, we're spending more time talking about it than the scene actually went on. Well, we find the bizarre, and I latch onto it. And the bizarre is not necessarily good. Sometimes it's yeah. just bizarre. And let's shimmy on to the interrogation room <laughs> at the Twin Peaks. <laughs> yes, let, let us shimmy. Bobby Briggs is back to his typical angsty teenager bullshit. Early season one, Bobby Briggs, yeah. definitely. Because I liked your notes. You did kind of call it out. Bobby had seemed like he had been going through a few changes, you know, yeah. trying to step up, make more money, support Shelly, yeah. you know, try and not be such of an asshole so he can work for uh, Ben. There was character growth. Yeah, and now it's just, I don't know, I think maybe it's just his knee-jerk response to authority. Man, Rebelling is, against his dad. That is really insightful, Adam. Thanks. It happens once every 10 episodes. I I would totally agree with that. (laughs) I had not noticed that or seen it, but you're right. Because that's exactly, he's being petulant here when we don't see him that way. Yeah. Ben wasn't treating him that way. Of course, Ben is not in his right mind. So what's happening right now is that Bobby and Shelly are filling Sheriff Truman in on what happened with Leo, which is pretty big. Like they should be sending out a few people to maybe look for him. Bobby basically confirms that he and Shelly had been seeing each other for a long time before yeah. Laura was murdered, all that jazz. It is weird that Truman ha- gets hung up on, like, what were you doing there, Bobby? And like, dude, that's not the point. Yeah, and remember when he got hung up on Shelly in season one and Cooper called him out on it? But anyway, uh, Truman is pretty much caught up to speed with what's been going on as far as Shelly and Bobby's relationship. Yeah. I think Truman tries to throw it back on Bobby, but Bobby, again, just confirms, like, I did not shoot Hank. No, he didn't shoot Hank. He didn't shoot Oh, he, okay, yeah. He, he, he asks where he was the night of the mill fire because of that what happened it, yeah. with the Johnsons. And he's like, I didn't shoot Leo. Hank shot Leo. And the Truman's like, oh, cool. Hank shot Leo. File that away for later. And then it comes up later, and we'll get to it. But Cooper believes everything Bobby's saying. that Yeah, Hank did When it shoot. comes to men, Cooper is a human lie detector. When it comes to women, he will believe whatever the fuck they <laughs> tell him. Well, that is kind of a big blind spot. Women. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Hank is in big trouble for A, shooting Leo, B, Oops. attacking Ed in his home and getting mixed up with Jean Reno, who's dead. So, I mean, you can see them just sweeping a lot of these characters and storylines under the yeah. rug. So, yeah, Hank's in trouble. And, and uh, Shelly and Bobby are off the hook for yeah. 
They're, they, yeah, off they did their, their due diligence. They came to the sheriff's department. They filed a police report. I didn't think that would happen. Like, if you would have asked me two episodes ago if they would ever do anything like that, I said, no, they're fucking idiots. But, you hey, know. at least they did it. Hopefully they're. I like to think that it's all because of Shelly, too, because she is showing real character growth. And I hope they're taking some precautions to watch out for Leo. We, I mean, we yeah. know what happened to Leo, but still, they don't. But your buddy, Albert Rosenstein. No. Wait, is it, is it it's, Rosenstein? It's, actually, it's Albert Rosenfield. Is it? Rosenfeld? It's Rosenfield, oh, sir. Oh, okay, okay. Albert, well, you're, he, he comes back. Alvin Rosenfield. <laughs> and I remember just a few episodes ago, you were just talking about how insufferable he is, and does he ever fucking lay off? And well, here you go. He lays off. What? He rolls in, and what? Truman <laughs> and Rosenfield embrace like a big bear hug, which just- the, Dude, the biggest hug, most sincere hug I may have seen on TV ever. What? It was the declaration of love back in the earlier part of the season where- Have know, they been hanging life. out? I think, script, like, I think that they that moment in the room where Albert made his declaration of love and Truman, and I think that was like pff, breakthrough moment. Like they had you don't see it break on I know, Truman's it, face. You don't see Truman react to that. I'm honestly cool with this. I like the more mellow. Oh, Rosenfield. totally. He's a cool character. He's a member of the team now. Yeah. He's not fighting against the other forces He's of a team law. Player. He's being a team player. I'm all for it. But this was very jarring to see. Is all I'm saying. I want to know, like, are they going on fishing trips on the weekend? There, like you said, breakthrough. There was a huge breakthrough here. I just wish you could have seen it. Yeah, you know. I mean, and you even comment too that he doesn't even hug Coop. He does not. He gives him a handshake. I, I, I'm, I am flabbergasted. You can hear it in my voice, but I'm here for well, it. Well, he's there to check up on Cooper because Cole is worried about him. Yeah, Cole himself sent Albert to kind of be. Cooper's yeah. right hand guy on this. His man on the inside, as far as the FBI goes, because as we know, Cooper is not an FBI agent currently. No, and Cooper needs all the help he can get right now with Wendell Merle pretty much making his play. <laughs> Did I do not want to skip over Albert's spot on Cole impression though? It was good. It was. It, good was it was better than I could do. Well, usually when Albert strolls into a scene, that means we're also going to get a info dump. A huge info dump. And we get a couple of these this episode. And the first one, we see Rosenfield show us a map of where these packages have been sent. I think they were disguised as mail bombs, but obviously they weren't no. dangerous. And they it's, form a C. Yeah, it's Springfield, Illinois, Kansas City, Kansas, Lawton, Oklahoma, Dallas, Texas, and Jackson, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And it's just a coincidence, I'm sure. That <laughs> it spells out that's, that was just happenstance. Inside these packages are garments yeah. and jewelry, and we find out that these are all pieces of Caroline's wedding dress. Her wedding, her wedding ensemble. Out. Yeah, the ensemble. Albert said all of the packages, all the shipping was paid with a phony credit card signed Wyndham Earl. What the fuck is a phony credit card? <laughs> I guess a sign. He probably stole someone's identity and, you know. But he signed his own name. Well, that's probably just maybe these people, the postal workers not doing their. This is, yeah, no, this. That was a bad line, is my, <laughs> the point I'm getting at. Because in 1991, there's probably still like the carbon copy, like kachuk yeah. kind of things. You know, there's no. You know, maybe the payments went through and they were assigned to his name, but ultimately, you know, they, you know, they're fake and he's never going to pay. It them. was <laughs> Wyndham Earl spelled differently. Yeah. Albert ends his forensic spiel with a little bit of insight into the thought process of Wyndham Earl, and I liked it. It was very on the nose. I thought we'd play a little bit of it yeah. for our audience. He's got DEA and FBI, not to mention Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Illinois State Patrols looking for him. Everyone's invited to the party. 
but my guess is he won't dance with anyone but you, Coop. That is a cool line. Yeah. It's hard-boiled detective line. It really is. <laughs> you know, as much bad as there is in this episode, I always like to shine a light on the good because yeah. they're getting further and further apart as to the good stuff. And it's funny because you can look at the show and be like, man, there's so much really good shit, but you have to distill it. You oh, just yeah. They watered it all down to the yeah. point where it was just palatable to nobody but the hardcore fans at this point. Yeah. Albert basically tells Cooper in so many words that he was correct in his assumptions about the murder of the vagrant found in Truman's office. Single stab wound, severed the aorta, Cooper nailed it. He's very smart. The scene ends with Alvard Rosenbeld commenting on Cooper's new attire. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a clothes man. I brought good, it up many times. too. I really, whenever Albert's on the show, I'm tickled. What did he? He was ditching the, the elegance of a dark suit and tie yeah. and swapping it for the muted earth tones of... <laughs> muted I, earth tones, Yeah, exactly. something like that. It was great. And it works. It yeah. works for Cooper. Miguel and, Ferrer is just incredible. And how he delivers it, you know, he's soft in his touch and he kind of, he reaches over to... He grasps onto Cooper's lapel, and I swear to God, I thought he was just going to lean in for a little, just a soft <laughs> little peck on the cheek. I mean, you he know, with his turnaround page. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, what's happening? And now he didn't. I would have liked to have seen that little bit of affection towards Coop. They don't need to be so professional here. Coop's currently not an FBI agent, they're just pals right now, you know? But fine, I'll just put that in my slash fic later on that I'm writing where Coop fucks all the deputies <laughs> and Rosenfield. It's hot. We're going to hop, skip, and jump to the yeah. woods. Leo wakes up with Wyndham Earl. Wyndham Earl is... Strolls in in his skivvies, playing a tune on his flute. On his... Well, it's funny. The um, the song that Wyndham Earl is playing on the bamboo flute is Questions in a World of Blue, which is a song by Julie Cruz, who oh, has really? done several songs for Twin Peaks. Wyndham Earl is already tiresome. I don't find him to be an engaging yeah. villain. You this know, is I, not what I was hoping for. I really like Kenneth Welsh, and I think execution is what plagues a lot of the second half of season two. Yeah. I think this is more of that. Leo God. tries to leave the cabin, and Wyndham Earl ain't having that. I think he wraps him in the back of the leg with the bamboo. He could be doing a lot more twisted shit, but he throws a shot collar on Leo. Yeah. Made some gruel for him. He's really getting gruel. into it. Yeah. Researched him, knows about all of you know his nefarious doings. So. Sure. You know what I noticed more than anything in this scene was once Leo was attacked, there was a badass bald eagle painting in the background. <laughs> that fucking eagle that. was tough. It's hard. It was a hard, hard eagle. Yeah, you pretty much hit on yeah. everything. <laughs> Earl... Is this supposed to be engaging, Adam? Like, were you engaged by this maybe like the first time you saw it? I think I was because I knew where it was leading to. You know, I explained a while ago that my introduction to the series was the movie. Yeah. So it was a lot of the stuff that was happening in the movie that was interesting to me. And this stuff is, you know, heading, is this heading us there. What we're seeing right now, the main stuff, not all the B and C and D and E plot, but does that connect back? What happens because of Wyndham Earl is what will take us into the main plot of the really? return. Really? The fallout. I mean, well, okay. he is not in the return. No, no, no. That's not you That's know. not what I was getting at. But I meant... the shit that he causes is the problem in the return, you know, ultimately what the stuff he's setting in motion here. Weird. But we get more information on what's going on with poor Leo and what Wyndham is plotting next. Uh, that's the thing. Nobody cares about Leo. He's not the person to be put in this position because we don't care if like he's tortured. We don't care if he lives or dies. You're right, yeah. You know? We There's want just something to do with him, I guess. The audience would want somebody sympathetic in that position so that we can be like, oh no, someone rescue this person. Yeah. We don't get that here. And so I'm leaving the we woods. Are. We're gonna go to the Hurley household. The bedroom of one Ed 
Surely. You know, and of all the shit that's going on this episode, I got to say it's nice that Ed and Norma are snuggling back up again. They, they, those two deserve to be happy. We're seeing some sexy naked shoulder action. I know. Boing. We know what they just did. Yeah, what? Uh, Gave each other back rubs. Yeah, they're talking about all the regrets they have for their off and on relationship that they've. They are a melancholy couple, I man. I know. I think Norma starts talking about when she bought a Christmas gift yeah. for Ed and brought it to the house, but just couldn't do it. And Yeah, it was just a weird creep in their driveway yeah. or whatever, just looking through the window. <laughs> That's it. Enough. We're going to embrace our love. And... Yeah, for all of their sneaking around and being together in the present, they often reflect on their mistakes in the past. And I'm just like, guys. You are together. Sort just of. I mean, he's still married to 18. Sure. They're not, you know, on an open official capacity, but they are enjoying each other's company. Like, don't wallow in your past when you have your present. Mm-hmm. This doesn't make any sense, you know? Well, the more interesting part of this interaction is <laughs> the that- The very weird and interesting part of this that- they're sitting in bed and Nadine comes home and Norma's initial reaction is, oh shit, I need to fucking jump yeah. out of the back door. But it stops her and he's like, no, we're done with this. I love you, baby. We're going to talk to her about it. And <laughs> you know, here comes Nadine. She rips the fucking door off the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> but you're laughing. Like, it is a bad show right now, but stuff like that is fucking great. She fucking beelines it from the front door to this bedroom. Rips the door off the handle without even batting an eye, slips under the covers next to Ed and Norma. Yeah. I mean, Ed's dick is still semi-hard. Norma is only wearing a bra. It probably smells like sex in there, too. Oh, yeah. Those sheets are still sticky. (laughs) And she just hops on in. The most important thing here is that she doesn't give a shit. The new Nadine, the new I'm perpetually locked in the state. This scene was missing a laugh track. Let me just put that out there. You think like it would have added to the scene? When she rips the door off, where was the laugh track? <laughs> she was disqualified for using kind of a WWE move, the flying airplane, I think. But that's not what's important here. What's important here is the well, fact that she's nonchalantly chatting with Ed. I think what's important is that she was both disqualified and won second place. Yeah, how does that work? How does that work? Like, Get the hell out of here. Bauer, what is what is going on? Yeah, you know, with me and my extensive wrestling career, I could answer those <laughs> questions for you. I'm just uh, saying a little bit contradictory. You were talking about something else, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Nadine ends up apologizing to Norma about kicking Hank's ass, <laughs> acknowledging that Norma is in bed there. And yeah. she gets up to walk away. And, and as she walks away, she kind of stops and turns around and, and lets them know that she knows about them. Yeah. <laughs> so she's so. not a total idiot which is nice to be reminded she thinks it's okay because you know what things are kind of heating up between her and mike i know we haven't seen it it's been off screen but things are working out between those two cooper and truman are back in our lives again thank god they're it's talking about pine? the walls are closing in on josie on josie yeah they're they're confronting her about jonathan lee's death and we learn his actual last name later on but i don't want to spoil it here uh he's still jonathan lee right now and he was execution style gunned down. Three rounds to the back of the in head. The back of the head for fuck's sake. And instead of opening up, Josie is shutting down. Yeah. She, you know, we're starting to get a pretty vivid picture here that she was directly involved in Jonathan's murder. And, right. And um, I want to deny it. When I keep seeing these scenes and they keep building on it, I'm like, no, no, surely that she's being framed. But she, I don't. And she's, she's not, not the same Josie we knew no. in season one. She's not. She doesn't say anything. And you, sure, it's, you know, she's been going through a lot and she's obviously a criminal. I, I'm not, you know, another character. I'm not really a big fan of where her character went. So Cooper decides to give them some privacy. Yeah. Because all the privacy you know, that they can be afforded of him being across the room. Yeah. So he goes to get some coffee when. Pete rolls back in. Oh, Pete. He is pre-Wicked Turn Pete, you know? He that got only weird. happened for a couple of episodes, and I blame the inconsistency with the yeah, writing, right. you know, uh, the writers. This is back to the Pete that I love, the Pete that I will hold near and dear to my heart, 
once we're through with all of these episodes. Yeah. He's bringing in Josie's dry cleaning, the sweet fella. Because Catherine is working her- Working her to the bone. Yeah. And he was- She's got to prepare a roasted pig's head later on. Like <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have time to get her own dry cleaning. Yeah. Well, we're greeted with some physical comedy, too, as he struggles to yeah. keep the dry cleaning- All four bags or whatever. <laughs> like, calm down, dude. A nice interaction between yeah. Cooper and Pete, and Cooper greets Pete, and he, you know, without even seeing him, recognizes him. With You know, within a span of two, three weeks, Cooper is- really becoming a part of these people's lives. So he's Yeah. Well we often forget that it's only been in Twin Peaks time, which I feel like there's gotta I think be it's about three weeks now, yeah. maybe a, maybe a little less. Not not a month. And it's a weird turn because, you know, I'm sure, you know, the actors spent a lot of time together and we as an audience watch this over a long stretch. So it's weird to see that difference in time between what we see as multiple years, the characters see as multiple weeks and the phone rings. And uh, instead of Josie doing her goddamn job and answering it, Pete gets it for her. And Cooper takes this opportunity to get some fiber samples for reasons unknown. He's just a suspicious fella. Well, I think he, him and talking with Rosenfield. Rosenside? Rosen. Rosen. Rosenfield. Okay, okay. Alvin Simon Rosenfield. <laughs> We're never going to live that down. Uh, All right, moving on. <laughs> Josie answers the phone eventually. About damn time. It's Thomas Eckhart. Yeah. And Catherine was listening in. Yeah. All the villains were <laughs> twirling their mustaches. Right. And... That's how it feels. <laughs> oh, my God. That's exactly. It's like 1920s, dame on the train tracks, mustache twirling, yeah. villainy. We, the phone call ends and we cut to Eckhart's room in the Great Northern and he's wearing sunglasses and it's because he's got pink eye, as we see. <laughs> Gross. All that travel, you know, traveling. He's from South Africa, I think. He's a world traveler. Indeed. Maybe he should just stop rubbing shit in his eye. <laughs> Dumbass. He says he's disappointed she ran back to Catherine. She ran back to Truman, man. You'd think she'd leave again if it, things were getting this bad, but I guess maybe Catherine's got her scared straight. I don't know. Maybe she's got no Go to jail. To like, just give up. Give yourself over to Truman. Like, let him deal with it. Go to jail. Pay your dues. That's the best. I mean, she would probably never get out after brutally murdering somebody, but or no. at least not anytime soon. I don't know. This is... This whole scene has left me reeling, and I feel like we just need to take a quick break. Let's do. Okay. After tragedy strikes... Melissa, it's really nice of you to come back for the funeral. A D&D group reunites. So, uh, is Dylan coming? What up, man? To celebrate the life of a friend. Take that, you wretched sea hag! <laughs> until something happens. Now they're struggling to survive in a world they don't understand. It got me! Game over, man! Game over! group as they fail through time and space. I drop it, you guys. Oh, David. Buddy. Run! <laughs> A beginner's guide to interplanetary destruction. <laughs> That's what I'm calling my penis as of eight seconds ago. Folks, we are back. And we are in the Great Northern for one of the greatest returns <laughs> in the show, Holy shit, Johnny's back on scene. I know, where he just popped up out of nowhere. How did like the Hayward nowhere? sisters. They just yeah. kind of phase in and out of existence when the plot necessitates it. <laughs> and he has brought his inappropriate but thematically fitting headdress. That's true. He Now it actually is fitting in with the... We're yeah. coming, we're bringing the whole Confederate debacle to a close. This is the last episode that... Yeah. I think this is, this is the end. There are more Horn family members in this scene 
in one place than we've seen at any other time. Okay. Dr. Jacoby is kind of upset with himself because he thought that, good, you know, that Ben would be snapping out of it with bringing Jerry back and Johnny into the fold. But no, it's it seems to be accelerating like it's coming to a head. He, despite him being the worst mental health professional, keeps trying, which I guess you got to commend. He's tenacious. Yeah. You can see the failure in his eyes. He wears it openly and he just kind of leans against the wall like <sighs> another failure yeah and jerry just snake in the grass oh, uh, man. propositions audrey that they should just let him be let him be like well let's take the money and run with it let's see yeah. if we can make some dough audrey reminds him that that's not a good idea because she is the executor yeah he wants an opportunity to, to develop some of his own projects man like let jerry step into the limelight it's jerry's time and He's tired of playing second fiddle. Now, I think Jerry should play to his strengths, which is a wheeler and dealer, to yeah, help right. facilitate. Because I think Ben right. is clearly the, the one with the business acumen here. Well, yeah, Jerry has no business acumen. And you could tell that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because Audrey lets it be known that you mentioned. But Jerry does not even know this. That's how <laughs> dumb he is about the business side. Yeah, he, he's just he likes to have fun. He's a fun, she, happy guy. She looked over Ben's will i guess but ben really must not trust his wife if if that's what exactly that's what i was thinking how is audrey who is got to be only 18 that seems like a more interesting scene than what we're given here yeah god can you imagine like the headbutting of a resentful mrs horn going up against this powerful idiot teenager that i mean she's (laughs) she might be savvy for her age but she's still only 18 yeah yeah she doesn't have any real world experience where is that scene man Audrey shows even more agency. We're pretty much just like pulling the plug and telling Jacoby, like, okay, we're done here. Let's, I don't care how we end this, but we yeah. end it now. And Jacoby executes his uh, final plan, which is to give Ben his Confederate victory. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> and we end this scene with some more singing of Dixie, which is just gross. Fine. Can we go back to, oh no, Wally's hideout. <laughs> this never gets good. This episode never gets good. There. Uh, just quick, I don't know if you noticed, you don't pay attention the way I pay attention. We pay attention in different <laughs> ways. Too. There was a sexy lady calendar behind the bar. <laughs> I don't know why my eye was drawn out of all the stuff that's happening in the scene. I guess it's the most that's interesting. That's why the calendars have sexy ladies on them. So you so ke- catch those fellas' attention. Hey. It's totally hot, super babe on the, on the picture. And then Lady Slick Lady kind of saunters into the frame in a weird way. That was kind of just a... Just shimmies a hey. Yeah. I don't, couldn't tell if she was drunk, if she was kind she's of... She's struggling. She's drinking yeah. her sorrows. And then also Malcolm comes into the scene. It was... With a cool guy leather jacket. Yeah. I won't say... It wasn't a bad way to have them enter the frame. It was just unusual. Do you think Malcolm and Hank got their jackets from the same store? I think that... <laughs> Like there's one bad guy leather jacket. The yeah. bad guy leather jacket emporium. Of Co- it's called Washington. Leather Daddy. <laughs> leather Daddies. <laughs> uh, fuck this podcast. We're opening a leather jacket store. Vegan leather. It's 2019. We know our audience, <laughs> our potential. Uh, you know what? Whatever. Moving on. Donna's there and she's trying to talk Evelyn down. I think she's trying to get Evelyn off of James so she can save him. And this is when Malcolm comes in and just openly threatens Donna. Wraps his hand around her neck and yeah. says, "I'm going to kill you yeah. right in front of somebody." I think you can call the bartender's the cops. there. Yeah. I think Malcolm could be arrested. You can't do that. And where the fuck is James? Like is this a different scene? Does Donna Yeah, li- where is James? He's just driving in circles. I don't know because the last time we were at Wally's, Donna was there mm-hmm. and James was there. And then there was like some weird police presence. And then we're back to Wally's and Donna's still there. Did she come back? 
Is this a continuation of that? Because Malcolm and Evelyn show up and James is missing. It's just how the episode is structured. You know, you can't help but ask questions like that, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, I thought that perhaps James had been arrested because he just disappeared and the cops were there looking for him. And I just want to say Donna had called Ed. Ed never shows up. He's too busy fucking Norma. Yeah, he's got his priorities <laughs> in or out of whack. I don't know. I don't know. I guess it depends on the importance you place getting your D wet. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like James potentially getting arrested for murder <laughs> should be higher up on that list. I don't know. Uh, the whole scene is baffling for yeah, both it, direct and indirect reasons. It's not long either, so we should probably oh, I'll shut up about there. it. Okay. Yeah. James is missing. I don't know the timeline here. So we'll He's just, somewhere out there. We'll saunter on over to the sheriff's department, and we'll figure the whole Wally's thing later. We see Albert, so guess what we're getting? More. Another info dump. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a listen, because this is pretty important. This all ties back to Cooper getting shot, uh, I think, 100 years ago? <laughs> Feels like it. <laughs> yeah. So many things have happened. Coop, take a look at this. Vicuna thread sample taken from Josie's coat. Traces found on the floor outside your room. Like from the same coat? Let me put it to you this way. Either Josie Packard pulled the trigger, she's loaning her winter wear to the wrong kind of people. It's a perfect match. What about the gloves? Still checking for powder burns. We'll have the results in the morning. On the Seattle homicide? Locals are looking for a beautiful Asian woman, late 20s, in connection with the murder of one Jonathan Kumagai. Mr. Kumagai is an Interpol sheet as long as your arm with three holes in the back of his head. I'm betting the bullets will match the slugs we took from your vest. Josie is pretty much fucked at this point. Yeah, I would never have thought that she would be the one to gun down. Pretty Hilbert. definitively here that Josie is a murderer. Yeah. And that sketch is from the Seattle police, so they they already I on the case. Know. Yeah. Albert seems fairly certain that the bullets that killed Jonathan will match the ones they pulled out of Cooper. Fibers match. The fibers match. Found outside of Cooper's door. Let me ask you this. Why? Why did Josie yeah. shoot Cooper? Do we learn? That's that's what I want to yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. not probably not going to be as satisfying as oh. I think it is. But I mean, that's a reason. <laughs> Nothing ever <laughs> is in this show. Nothing's ever as satisfying as I want it to be. This just goes to show that what a kind soul Cooper is, that he's more worried about how this is going to affect his friend, you yeah. know, Truman. Well, they've Cooper got her hook, line, and sinker, man. So yeah, it's like, yeah. he doesn't have to be mad about it. He's like, oh, no, she's going to prison. Yeah. And Cooper tells Albert to, you know, don't say anything to right. Harry until they're totally sure. But it, all all signs are pointing to Josie being a murderer. Yeah. And we move from Albert Rosenfield to Truman and Cooper. And Truman's been doing some police work of his own. He's not just sitting around in his brown paper bag of a uniform, <laughs> which I You're know I mentioned almost every episode. But there is a... It's earlier when they're talking to Bobby where he, we get like a, a knee to shoulder, like the full thing. And it's just embarrassing. Anyway, we. <laughs> you don't yet. Yeah, next Halloween, you're going to have to fucking be Truman. You've done it. Truman. Truman has found the name of the homeless man, the Eric man. Powell. And Adam, I believe there is some significance to this last name. Yes, Cooper lets us in on the fact that Powell is Carolyn's maiden name. Yeah. Is it Carolyn or Caroline? Caroline. I think, in fact, Cooper says it two different ways in the show, uh, so we can okay. feel less bad. Feel free to it. just bounce around yeah, however whatever. we choose. Anyway. Well, Cooper is pretty worried for himself. He's worried for his friends. And Truman asks him, like, no. so, hey, like, every time a chess piece is removed from the board, quote, unquote, someone's going to die. And Cooper's like, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, pal. <laughs> we, we need to get a lockdown on this. Yeah. He, he understands the storm yeah. is brewing. And, he, and it's great. What happens next? Well, Cooper is not that great at chess. No. Because I mean, he lost every single game he's ever played against Wyndham. And we find out that Twin Peaks has a resident chess whiz. None other a than. A chesspert, if you yeah. will. 
Pete Martell, who was back in Dan's Good Graces. Yeah, and so we dive on into the double you R. Son of a bitch! Yeah! Uh, we smash cut to the double R is literally what we do here. We're, as you mentioned, goddamn Pete, of all people, he's playing three games of chess at once and is what smashing What a lovely coincidence, His competition, too. yeah. What a bizarre coincidence of all the possible residents of Twin Peaks. He's playing against Toad, Cooper, and Doc Hayward. And he checkmated two of the three. Third was just a check, so Hayward has a chance. Anyway, Pete is ready and willing to serve, and uh, that's fine, good, but something way more important is happening on the other side of the diner. Norma is on the floor just shining the shit out of a big old ice cream cone statue. She is uh, is very erotic. And earlier in the episode... Wyndham Earl, when he was describing the flute and how samurais, you know, when they were stripped of their swords, they used their flutes to kick ass. Yeah. He was just cr- like jerking it oh, off. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, but that's I the d- second time yeah. this episode that phallic symbols were caressed lovingly. I don't know. Maybe that was Diane Keaton. Like, I was wondering how, in- in. I mean, this is this is definitely intentional. Like, I thought maybe that was just uh, the actor having yeah, yeah. I know. fun with it. Yeah, but it's... this is direction. There's no way it's not. And then Shelly shows up to ruin everyone's good time. Until <laughs> she helps Norma. She dives in too, and I'm like, guys, it is getting hot in here. I was glad I was watching it alone late I'm at night. I'm surprised they didn't have just a row of, you know, Twin Peaks creeps just staring at him. Like, oh, God. <laughs> it's just so hot. Oh, my. So there is a point to this, by the way. Yeah, Shelly wants her job back. She wants her job back. And Norma says, fuck you, get out of here. You left me when I needed you most. Why don't you tell us what really happened, Daniel? Okay. She says, you know what? You spit shine this with me, and uh, I'll welcome you back in. And, and there we go. Shelly's back. <laughs> there we go. Shelly, of course, always had a home at the Double R. There was never any doubt. And I believe that Norma said as much back in episode yeah. two or three, 800 years ago. They're yeah, the friends. They're more than started. co-workers. They're friends. Things are looking up for Shelly. Leo's gone. Things with Bobby seem to be leveling out to a certain extent. So well, some good things happening here. Yeah, there are some good things. Another one, Truman shows up to finally kill everyone's boner full on to let Norma know that Hank is going to be charged for the attempted murder of Leo Johnson. On the word of Bobby Briggs alone, I have to assume <laughs> because... Hopefully they've got some evidence to back it up because right. I don't know. Because I... Bobby was like, no, it was Hank. And Truman was like, okay. Whatever. Hank. Sounds good. <laughs> Hank sucks. I'm. I don't oh, care. Yeah. You don't have to justify. He's going to jail. Get rid of yeah. him. <laughs> Fuck Hank. Truman doesn't care. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to know. So that. Shelley is back at the double R. Wonderful news. Hank is going to be going to prison. Pete's a chess expert. And yeah, we're down to the last seven episodes, eight episodes of season two. Things are looking up, Dan. <laughs> Things are looking up. Everything's coming up. <laughs> Twin Peaks. It's all coming up. Twin Peaks. Uh, that is how we end the scene on an up note, and we're going to swing way down as we oh, yeah. go back to the Blue Pine Lodge. This is the big uh, the dinner with Thomas Eckhart and the villains are assembling to talk about their villainous plans and machinations. This scene is a fucking nosedive, dude. <laughs> it's pretty silly. And the fact that, you know, the plot is pretty boring and Thomas Eckhart isn't particularly threatening and I don't really care about Andrew Packard or Catherine or any, I don't, I don't care no. about that shit. <laughs> this is all ridiculous. It's there. Okay. All right, let's hit it. Let's see how fast we can get through it. Catherine invited Eckhart for a fancy dinner. At some point, we don't get to see it happen. And they pretty much just get right into the scene. They're talking like this. They're talking very quick and very fast. And I'm not sure what they're talking about because none of it matters. Yeah, it's very stage play-like. So she's basically invited to talk about a trade-off. And she wants to sell Josie to Eckhart. (laughs) And Adam, this 
it feels racist. Like we're talking about selling a person of color to another white person. Well, End of scene. Let's move on. Did I do I it? Yeah, you did it. Do you have anything else to say? I mean, I have a few things to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> do I think it's racist? Uh, tone deaf, culturally insensitive, even for 1991. Stupid, irritating, silly. But I don't at any point think that they were talking about selling her because they viewed them as superior. They're, they're, these are criminals and she's a henchman. I don't think there has to be an intent with racism. I don't think they have to acknowledge the fact that it's two upper class white people selling a person of color into slavery yeah. for it to be racist. So I'm sticking with my, my mind. Uh, well, but you know, all yours are right, too. I'm just I'm uh, yeah. taking it further, you know? <laughs> it is what it is. Fucked up and weird. Let's just, it is, yeah. yeah. Moving on. Back to... Oh, no. Adam. Where, where are we going? We're going to Chateau Slick Lady. Oh, God. James wasn't arrested. He just apparated. And thought it was a good idea to roll up on the house where when he didn't know where Malcolm was, I'm assuming, or maybe this was part of his master plan. I don't think he sees Malcolm as the threat that Malcolm is, even though Malcolm hasn't been set up as a physical threat. Until recently, yeah. Until this episode. Yeah. But James hasn't seen that. No, James just barges in like, hey, lady, why do you do this? What? (laughs) Hold on. Let's take it back to my masterful portrayal of James from last episode. Evelyn, I thought we were in love. Why'd you do that? Why did you? I thought we were had something special. After all, I've been foo. After all, I did for you. Poor James. I like James. <laughs> for what it's worth, I really like James. Why, Adam? He because he's because he was treated so poorly, and he's like he's just almost like a like the meta narrative of this actor being directed in this way. He was not treated well. We don't get to see James's potential. Like he is from the get go. A fucking like doormat. What is there to and like? I think we haven't why, been given anything. Yeah, and I think that the fact that he persists is why I still like him. Okay, so the last time we saw Evelyn, she was at fucking Wally's. What is this fucking time jump? I know, and you think she'd have booze at home in that giant house. How did she know that Donna was going to be there? Why did she go to Wally's? What the fuck is this? I'm sorry, you were saying... Something plot relevant. Evelyn levels with James, admitting that it was, this is all for the dough. They but could, she also wants to be with James, too. Does she? I mean, she keeps saying, like, every other sentence well, we is the she's opposite conflicted. of the previous one. But she doesn't want to be with Malcolm. I mean, like, we don't know why she has a relationship with Malcolm at all. Like, as an audience, we haven't been shown why she would stay with him, why she would be with Malcolm at all. Mm-hmm. She could have easily gone to the police and said, it was Malcolm, and gotten that man out of her life. Yeah. Fine. So she's conflicted. Well, this conflict leads to James not hearing Malcolm approach him from behind and yeah. knock him out cold with a handgun. Yeah. He gets winged pretty hard. If you lost consciousness, you would need to go to the hospital. That could be some severe. Yeah. He might already be dead. Yeah. That could be <laughs> serious TBI right there. Yeah. Malcolm tells Evelyn that he's setting up the story for the police. He came back because he was angry. He wanted to be with her. And she said no. And to defend herself, she shot him until dead. Not a bad idea. That's a good. They, they should go with that. James is not that great of a character. I don't care how much you like him. So if he, <laughs> if he was shot, like I, I'm I like him because he's a bad character. So in my opinion, we should just take this a few steps, and then Malcolm should shoot Evelyn <laughs> until she's dead, and then go ahead and shoot himself too, and then the we could be done with this. Pile the bodies in the cellar the and walk away <laughs> like nothing ever happened. Right. Maybe set the whole place on fire. I don't know, but that's not what happens. Eh, whatever. 
We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back... We're going to put an end to the Confederateness happening. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm ready, too. See you soon, folks. Today's episode is brought to you by our latest sponsor, The Clean and Save. Listen, life gets messy, and sometimes those tough stains just won't come out. Just ask Twin Peaks resident Shelly Johnson. When it comes to tough stains... Like oil or, I don't know, three to five pints of blood, I only trust the clean and safe. Jeannie Pombalek came to Twin Peaks from the old country with two skills, bear wrestling and dry cleaning. And she's made a name in the mean business of cleaning. She still fights bears, too. When you need a deep clean, see Jeannie at the clean and save. Hi, folks. We're back. And what a coincidence. We are (laughs) entering the final Confederate uh, (laughs) scene in the series. I'm pretty sure it's over. Ballard. Well, here, <laughs> the end of the end. So basically, this is Jacoby's masterful plan, by the way. Yeah, this is to it. create a stage show where Ben can win for the South, mm-hmm. getting past all of his bullshit, mm-hmm. and then snap out of it. Just waking up from a dream. Let me ask you a quick question. When there's a horsey sound effect that we hear, <laughs> and then when Jerry comes in playing the harmonica, are we to believe that those sounds are actually happening in the physical space? Bobby's mixing it in the back. Well, that's that was my question, because the horse sound effect is, is weird. And then Jerry playing the harmonica obviously is bad mime work again. Is that on the Great Northern's like PA system? Like <laughs> someone's doing that? He's rich. He's got. He can get the shit done. Or are we supposed to believe that Jerry is actually playing the harmonica? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was so bizarre. Sometimes the sounds just don't make any sense in this show. Yeah. Well, Jacoby portrays General Grant, who surrenders. Sure. Ultimately. I mean, whatever it takes, right, Jacoby? Did you see where Audrey straight up slaps Bobby in the face? Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> that was, he was so satisfying. What was he doing, sniffing her? Yeah, he, he was, was like trying creep. to get fresh, yeah. yeah she was and just she like, fuck him. off. I was like, yes, He is an so annoying much. little gnat. <laughs> As you were saying. Uh... <laughs> so the South wins. The South wins. And he collapses. Yay! Yeah, I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, he right. Col- and he collapses. We do a full-on fucking Wizard of Oz. It, it is straight Wizard of Oz. <laughs> ben snaps out of it. The whole Confederate bullshit was just a dream, and you were there, and you were there, and you yeah. were there. I'd like to read you my notes. Adam, are you fucking kidding me? This is one of your favorite shows? No. No, man. You don't get to have this anymore. I'm taking it away. God damn it. If I could time travel, I'd forego the chance to kill baby Hitler if it meant I could strike this show from the pages of history. Aww. Yeah. Dunzo, I would take it from you. No, that's pretty brutal, man. <laughs> I'm disappointed. In you. I was so mad at this. But, uh, Twin Peaks... Is all about duality, and and to me, you this, say that more, once every three or four episodes. No, to but remind I would me. say that when I say this, this is more about a, a meta duality that with Twin Peaks covers the spectrum. It is wonderfully yeah. creepy, wonderfully funny, wonderfully bad, wonderfully good. It's just so many things at once, and you have to, with Twin Peaks, you have to take the good with the bad, and when it's bad, it is really bad. And this is a great example of you know what happens when this is a great example of bad. <laughs> yeah, well, I was kind of looking around the internet and, you know, seeing what other people thought about this. Yeah. And I came across Reddit user T. Cavanaugh1993, and he put it really succinctly, quote, I think it makes sense that Ben's breakdown manifests as himself believing to be Robert E. Lee because he identifies himself with Lee. From Ben's retrospective point of view, he's a hated man whom everyone is against and whom the world is closing in on from all directions. The only way he can overcome this is to change history, effectively shedding that skin and becoming a new man, which he does. Was it handled a bit goofily? Sure, but I think it fits in with his arc. And I thought he put that pretty well. My counter argument to that would be Ben's breakdown happens once the walls cease to 
close in on him. But he still lost everything. He didn't lose everything, man. He still has the department store. He still has the Great Northern. He lost everything in his criminal enterprise, I guess I should say. I'm just saying, like, the walls opened back up. Most he, people he don't was get a, second chances, and Ben is getting one. Yeah. So he's very privileged. He got his second chance and then broke down. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what pisses me off about it. He doesn't go crazy in jail. He goes crazy once he's set free. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. The Civil War bullshit's done. The Civil War is over, and the righteous have won in some crazy man's mind, and we're just going to fucking Wizard of Oz our way. We're going to click our heels and go to Wyndham Earl's creepy woodland lair where- He's playing dress-up. He's playing, yeah. Master of disguise. And you did, like, last episode or the episode before that when yeah. we finally see Earl- for the first time, you said you thought he'd have a mustache. Yeah. Oh, he's got a mustache. Oh, you got You're absolutely <laughs> right. I could hear the mustache in his voice. He's got Leo uh, transcribing a message yeah. for him. Uh, and I think we see funsies? a picture fall down, and we yeah. see finally an image of Donna, Shelley, and who's Audrey. The, Audrey. So yeah. our, our, our damsels are now in distress again. And I, I think it's fitting that he's got his silly, yeah. villainous he's mustache. He's literally and... got his mustache for twirling. And <laughs> I'm going to get these women. This is a great place to end the episode. Yeah, but it's not over, though. No. We're going to go ahead. We're finally going to gun James down. Yeah. It's happening. I can't wait. <laughs> and Donna shows up. I guess she just, her spidey sense went off. <laughs> her, Trouble her, at her, the Marsh House. Her Jamesy sense. <laughs> We see the biggest gun. It's a goddamn hand cannon. <laughs> it's like she punched Dirty Harry in the dick and took his gun. <laughs> so she, she comes in all teary-eyed, like suddenly she gives a shit about James. <laughs> when previously she was getting drunk at Wally's hideout, Ed's fucking Norma. Nobody cares about James <laughs> until the plot requires them to. She falls all over his body, weeping because he's still passed out. How long? By the way, how long has James been passed out? That's some serious. Yeah. I mean, he long-term brain damage. There's a scuffle. Because Evelyn has decided suddenly, for reasons unknown, not to kill James. I, she cares about him. She doesn't care about him. We don't know. Nothing makes sense. The world is upside down. Black is white. Cats are dogs. And she shoots Malcolm instead. It and, couldn't have happened to a more deserving asshole. Yeah. And this scene is weird. It almost yeah. seems like Diane Keaton decided, or maybe it wasn't her. Maybe someone did it in post, but they tried to mimic what David did when Bob was attacking. Yeah. Maybe. The audio slows down. Yeah. There's a lot of screaming and crying, but it seems otherworldly and distant because of what's going on with the audio. Yeah. It is kind of creepy, but it just feels forced and out of place yes, here. Yes, I would 100% agree with that. Did Evelyn also shoot herself, or is she is she, no. is she going down for a nap? Because <laughs> I'm pretty one, sure we're done with that. One bullet was fired, this. but it was just so weird that she shoots Malcolm and, and he goes down, and then she just lies down on top of him. But not like draped over, you know, with her back to us, as you might expect. She lays down facing the ceiling like she's going to catch some Zs. And call me crazy, but I think Malcolm probably would not have just keeled over dead from a single gunshot wound. No, I mean, it was he, probably a gut shot. It would take yeah. forever for him to die. He'd be sitting there moaning and, and in great amount of pain, but he wouldn't yeah. just... You might be able to save him, as a matter of fact. If you called the cops quickly enough. And now... Now the storyline is over. I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, I, I know I say that so fucking much. Uh, <laughs> you I, keep torturing <laughs> me, and we get one more, one more is, scene. I, you know, we may have one more scene, but for the bulk, it's it's done. That's fine. I, and in fact, I, don't, I think James might even disappear from the show the back half of the season two. Oh no, oh, Dan's so upset, guys. James is a wasted character. He never had the opportunity to be anything more than a punching bag. So I gotta say, I'm not sad to see him go. Well, now we finally get to our final scene, which. It's not the weirdest ending, but it's a little weird. Yeah, Cooper strolls in to see a 
illuminated death mask of Carolyn yeah. on his uh, Caroline on his bed, tucked in. Is that who that was supposed to be? Yeah, it was a death mask. It was cool. The like the lighting on it was weird, and as soon as he picks it up, it was very expertly rigged to start playing as soon as the mask was removed, and it's Wyndham Earl going on about how he still loved Caroline, still loves Carolyn slash Caroline. I don't remember, and I don't care to look. <laughs> Briefly, before we leave, we see Wyndham Earl stroll right past Cooper in the lobby, which I thought, given everything we've seen so far that I hate, I liked that, that kind of just missed him thing. And he leaves a note for Audrey. And then we go to Cooper's room, hear the message in the app, which we will do here. We'll be right back. Will Jack, the gym-loving male nurse hottie, manage to win the heart of the spunky blue-haired web designer Maggie? Join us every other week to discover if this unlikely pair will have their happily ever after or fizzle out in the end. Love and Lust Season 1 is coming to ClamityCast.com or wherever you find your podcast. Once again, welcome back, folks. We've just finished up episode 15 season two of twin peaks titled slaves and masters yeah, just real fast as i was finishing uh watching this episode i noticed that we had no hawk we had no andy had no lucy in this episode because they're tying it was up weird they were tying up these yeah episodes. yeah it was just they were missed well <laughs> this episode performed horribly oh you yeah, don't say the week it was shown it came in 85th out of 89 offerings that wow. ABC offered. So at this point, nobody was watching the show. I wish that I had thought to look at the numbers of other shows that were aired at the same time. That would have been interesting to see what people were watching when they weren't watching Twin Peaks. It was doing so poorly that after the next episode, that the show would go on an indefinite hiatus. Indefinite? Yeah, not good. They're pretty much, you know, they're They came back, obviously. Only after a extensive written yeah. campaign by the organization known as COOP, or Citizens Opposed to the Offing Twin Peaks. Oh, so they brought it back. After fans just like went at Wild. Shit. So Wild. Uh, thankfully, you know, the fan So that could have been the end of it. Could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Because there are plenty of shows that go on those hiatuses and yeah. don't come back. How long did the hiatus in the bank? So this is episode 15. Yeah. Episode 16 aired, and then it was off the air for six weeks. Six weeks. And then six episodes, and then that was it. Well, we're gonna also going to take that same six-week hiatus. Do we have time for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. Well, I don't have a whole lot more to say about this episode. You you guys all heard it. I was <laughs> not a fan. It was pretty bad. And there were not very many bright and shining spots. I think a few I, lines here and there. Yeah, if I had to choose a, a spot to highlight, it would be the hug. <laughs> the hug, Pete kind of being back to form. Yeah. Uh, there are a few things. Uh, okay, Shut well, up. yeah. That wraps up this episode. Folks, thanks to Retro Promenade for providing our theme music and interstitial music. Please visit them at retropromenade.bandcamp.com to hear more. And thank you to Calamity Cast contributor and creator Ian McGowan for all of the jazz music you hear in the show. If you want to talk Twin Peaks or your favorite chess moves, right? Use the hashtag BLCD on Twitter, where we're at CalamityCast. My friend Adam is at Sour underscore Bauer, that's B-A-U-G-H-E-R, and I am at underscore D-S Williams. You can find us on Facebook at CalamityCast. You can email us at CalamityCastNetwork at gmail.com, and please check out our website, CalamityCast.com, for more content. If you're enjoying the show, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find our show. Yeah. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash CalamityCast and become a patron. 
For one-time donations, you can use paypal.me forward slash calamitycast. We also have merch available at the Calamity Cast Tee Public Store. Check out tpublic.com and search Calamity Cast Network, all one word. We'll return next week with Season 2, Episode 16 of Twin Peaks, and an episode of the Black Lodge Complaint Department that, quite honestly, isn't a fan of roasted pig heads. Bye, everyone. This has been a Calamity Cast production. For more content, visit calamitycast.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.